Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Santa! Oh, my God! Would you please tell him that instead of presents this year, I just want my family back. Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? It must be magic. I must find some way to keep Christmas from coming. Nobody's walking out on this fun, old-fashioned family Christmas. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? True, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Welcome back to another episode of Tis the Podcast, the podcast that's determined to keep the Christmas spirit alive 365 days per year and the Halloween spirit alive one month per year. I am Anthony. I'm Julia. I'm Tom. I'm Kendall. And I'm Lindsay. Ah, we got lots back. of friends tonight. And Lindsay's, this is her first time on the main show. So welcome. Yay. Thanks. Thanks for the invite. How how are you guys? I'm good. I'm all right. Living the dream. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so Lindsay, as it's your first time on the main show, we have a few questions to ask you. Not oh, related. No. Okay. <laughs> this is exciting. <laughs> Kendall's answered these before. Every guest answers these the first time they're on the show. We are a Christmas movie podcast, so we must ask, what is your favorite Christmas movie? National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Wow. Good choice. It's such a good choice. Well done. That's actually one of my top five favorite movies, period. Not just Christmas movies, just favorite movies. It's a good choice. Yeah. You're good people. (laughs) Uh, What's your favorite Christmas TV special? Christmas TV special. Ooh, that one is a lot tougher. (laughs) Ask me the next question. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, ask me the next question. I don't uh run DMC's Christmas and Hollis. Yay or nay? Yay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and our final one is the nightmare before Christmas, more of a Halloween film or a Christmas film. I would I mean it's so much of both but i would put it in the halloween category if i had to pick hmm. okay well at least you got yes. christmas and hollis correct well they oh. make christmas scary in <laughs> nightmare before christmas it's not that christmasy True. but it's i don't about, think it's that christmasy at all it opens they, at the they, end of halloween and they learn about christmas they no, try they, to I bring christmas, christmas. They, give, they give christmas a halloween twist yeah so. oh. So it's not Christmas giving Christmas a Halloween twist. They're giving Halloween. Wait, I just confused myself. But yeah, they're giving (laughs) Christmas a Halloween twist. (laughs) I agree. That is not one that I watch during Christmas time. It doesn't. I save that for Halloween. I think she's right. It's it scares up Christmas. It doesn't Christmas up Halloween. Yeah, (laughs) I stand by that. I still don't have an answer for the. The TV show TV one. special Our question. Yeah. TV special. What was yours? That's mine. Probably yeah. the peanuts, the Charlie Brown Christmas. Yeah. That's a classic. That's a good one. Was so Scrooged you... on TV? Can that? 
don't know if that that was like that, that was a movie movies. about a TV special. Yeah, that's true. true. Mm-hmm. We'll count that as a loophole. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go with that. Tom and Julia, how are you guys? Good. I'm good. I'm tired. Good. Tired. <laughs> We're so old. I mean, your words. I know my words. I'll claim them. <laughs> What's new in Julia's Adventures in Voodoo Land? Um, well, so Flanagan October has begun. Yes. And I've watched Oculus. Um, today I watched Doctor Sleep. And I will be picking up with the three miniseries shortly. Yes. I'm in the middle I'm of so Hill excited. House right now. Yep. Yeah. Nice. So mostly that. I watched the thing else. Oh, I tried to watch the Meg and I hated it and it was stupid. So I turned it off and I tried to watch it follows and I'm like, dear God, could this speed up? And it didn't. So I turned it off and I don't usually not make it through the end of movies, but like I did not make it through those. <laughs> huh. Interesting. I, know. I think maybe it was my mood today too. I could put it on that because I can watch stupid movies, you know, like I can watch a stupid movie like the Meg and enjoy it, I guess, but not today i can't fair so since we're on all harry potter fans on this podcast we must acknowledge michael gambon passed away dumbledore yeah our mm-hmm. second dumbledore ip so, so, so sad yeah that was a big one so mm-hmm. sad both dumbledore snape and hagrid are gone dame maggie mm-hmm. smith better hold on because uh she's the last main professor of left you better she's knock on wood live. yeah she'll be around till she's at least like 150 she was she always uh, she's always she's always looked yes. 150. she always has <laughs> i mean yeah she will be around forever though she shot harry potter with breast cancer she kept going so Did she really mm-hmm. i don't think mm-hmm. I... the sixth one the sixth one fifth, fifth one fifth one mm-hmm. so yeah she's such a boss i love her in downton abbey too mm-hmm. she's fantastic yeah. I love her. She's just so I love dry her. and funny. I love her in Sister Act. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a deep cut. Yeah. And Hook. And Hook has grown up one day. Mm-hmm. Yep. Again, always. Like that. Yeah, Angel. that was thirty years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, it was. So. Unfortunately, Maggie Smith is not in tonight's movie. That would have been very interested, interesting were she to be in this movie. But tonight, we are covering, we are continuing spooky season by covering Scream 3. Continuing our dive into the Scream franchise. The end of the original trilogy. At the end for like 10 years before they decided to continue the series. So, so we don't have to cover anymore, right? This is it? Ha 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 ha. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> it is not it. For us, I mean, right? It is not it. These are not scary at all, y'all. They're not scary. They're not Halloween. They're classic. Know. They're not classic. They are classic. They're terrible. Wow. <laughs> Just getting fired. Right out of the gate. So do you hate all of them, Tom, or or just this one? I mean, the first thing we're they're, they're just cheesy. It's just the same thing over and over and over again. 
it started out interesting, but by the end, just like, oh, just please end. You're awful. All of you are. Everybody. I was just ready. For, your, I was sound, just ready for... your sound is not awful anymore. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, it fixed. I was just ready for ghost case, ghost face to kill everybody and put an end to this whole nightmare. <laughs> I wish Ghostface was here tonight to put an end to you. <laughs> so grumpy. <laughs> no, I just really don't like these. I'm sorry, Lindsay. I'm well, I would say I'm not usually this grumpy, but that's not entirely true. Oh, no, I'm fascinated. I want to hear more <laughs> about your perspective and why you hate the most perfect horror movies ever created. I'm interested. Oh, first of all, yeah. Okay, we got a lot to talk about. <laughs> uh, well, since Tom gave his history-ish there, Julia, why don't you give your history with this film? Slash <laughs> the Scream franchise, I guess. Um... So, I mean, my history with this film, the Scream franchise is super similar. I've only ever watched them for our covering them on the podcast. So um, first time seeing this one was yesterday. I was aware of all of them all the time, right? Like I'd see the trailers and stuff on TV, but one was probably not allowed to go see it. The earlier ones when I was still living in my parents' house and two just didn't appeal to me. Um, I liked Scream 1. I like the funny horror, right? Like of, of all the ranges, I quite like that one. Um, so this is definitely in line with that. But this one felt silly, silly, silly. And I think I missed a lot of what I liked about the first one. Where the first one was kind of scary, but it was also mm -hmm. silly. And so um, this one just feels like it's been, it's like the... When you have a really great like glass of Coca-Cola and it's got like the ice in it and it's like perfect, but then you let it sit out for two hours and it's room temperature and the ice has completely diluted the entire drink. It's not even fizzy anymore. That's what this one was like. Oh, I like that. Well, well as we talked about with Ron and Jay for Black Christmas, Julie, and we'll get into it when we talk about the production of this movie, but everything the Weinsteins touch and give notes on. Uh, gets diluted and ruined a little bit Very there were lots so. of notes by the weinsteins on this one which we'll talk about kendall what's your history with this film um i don't remember the first time i saw this um i've seen it several times i just did my uh annual scream rewatch where i watched all the movies i don't hate this one <clears throat> it's probably ranked it's ranked at the bottom probably for me or near the bottom, but it's not because I don't like it. There's parts of it. I do like, I like all of these movies. Um, I mean, I, I watch them all year round all the time. They're, they're some of my favorites. So I, uh, I guess I'm a, an apologist when it comes to this movie. Now there's definitely some stuff wrong with it, but I, I can't hate on it. What about you, Lindsay? I I don't remember the first time I saw Scream 3 distinctly. I think I went to the theater to see it. So that probably says something about how interested I was in the movie. I watched it because I watched it like I went to see all of the American Pie sequels. They were in at the time and fun and exciting and scream three is funny and enjoyable but i am going to agree with 
uh, with Kendall and Julia. I love the analogy that it's just watered down Coke. I agree. That doesn't make it less fun for me, but it does make it the lesser of the screen movies for me. Yeah, I saw this for the first time as a kid uh, with the other two, like big box set when they all came on VHS. No, DVD. I had them on DVD and I liked it. I used to like this one the most growing up. I think it was because it was the least scary and I wasn't mm. as into horror movies growing up. Because right now I feel the same way as, you know, Lindsay, Kendall, Julia. It's definitely like the first one was a satire of horror movies and this mm-hmm. one is a satire of the satire almost. Yeah. Like it's almost one step removed from scary movie and the spoof movies. So yeah, Julia, you had the you did have the perfect analogy of the diluted coke mm-hmm. but i do i still have fun with this one and we'll talk about it when we get into it but the ending for the characters when this was the ending of the series before the requel phase like i liked where they all ended up i thought it was a fitting ending for them but we'll talk about it so quick plot synopsis after a number of murders that seem to be related to the original woodsboro case take place on the set of Stab 3, Sidney Prescott is drawn out of hiding, and with the help of fellow survivors, ex-cop Dewey Riley and national tabloid reporter Gail Weathers, heads to Hollywood to be terrorized, learn more about her mother's mysterious life, and put together the final pieces of the puzzle as to why death has followed her around for years now. They soon find out, however, that they are dealing with the final installment of a trilogy, and in a trilogy, anything can happen. So Screen 3 actually has a really interesting production history. So it was greenlit immediately after Screen 2. But unlike Screen 2, which was written and rushed into theaters in under a year, they waited two, almost three years before releasing this one. And Wes Craven came back to direct, but Kevin Williamson did not come back because his career had really taken off. He had obviously done the first two Screen movies, wrote them. He did I Know What You Did Last Summer, Halloween H2O, The Faculty. And at the time, this movie went into production. He was working on Teaching Mrs. Tingle, Dawson's Creek, and Wasteland. So he was stretched really thin. But when selling the original Scream, he had an outline for two sequels. So when Dimension Films hired a new writer, Aaron Kruger, to write this film, they did give him Williamson's original outline. Now, Aaron Kruger, for the record, is a really great writer. He did Top Gun Maverick recently. He did The Ring. But this was early in his career. He only did the TV movie before this called Killers in the House. And then he was given Scream 3. And the outline he was given that Williamson wrote is completely different than the movie we got. Not too much is known about it, but allegedly Matthew Lillard's character, Stu Mocker, who was Billy Loomis's accomplice in the first film, uh, was supposed to serve as a primary antagonist, kind of as a cult leader from prison. He was supposed to have survived his apparent death, been locked up, and, you know, orchestrated new ghostface attacks at the local high school before targeting Sydney for revenge. And in 2009, Matthew Lillard actually said he had signed on for the film. But then Columbine happened. And obviously the news and Congress and anyone with a microphone at the time tried to rationalize that tragedy by blaming music and video games and the movies, including Scream. They mentioned the first two Scream movies by name. So Dimension nearly canceled the film altogether. 
That would have been a good. That would have been a good move. But they decided to push through with a brand new script, though, because they said it could not take place in high school. It could not have kids in it, and they urged for a greater emphasis on the satiric humor and wanted to scale back on the violence. So, Julia, to your point, that's why this one is quote unquote leans more into that mm-hmm. than the scares. Um, at one point, they even went as far as to demand that the film feature no blood at all, and all violence had to take place off screen, which was Wes Craven's breaking point when he marched into the office and said, <laughs> either we make a screen movie or we make a movie and call it something else. Mm-hmm. And he threatened to walk. So they obviously let up a little bit on that rule. But Obviously, the Weinsteins, like Ron and Jay, Lindsay's co-host here, have said multiple times, everything they touch goes to crap. And that was true for this film, because when it was released, despite being the most, the highest grossing in the franchise until 4 and 5 and 6 came out, um, it was worst reviewed by critics and audiences, who thought it had become a parody of itself, which it did. And we can mm-hmm. talk about that as we go into that. And Dan it's Hall, kind they... of written almost as a parody of itself with the movie within a movie. I mean, they didn't do themselves any favors with that. Right. Which was, I think, a consequence of them having to move it away from high school. Yeah. And school in general, college. And Dan kept helping, keep helping that these were the early days of the internet. So script kept leaking out lines. So they were rewriting the script on set minutes before shooting frustrating the casting crew which they even put into the movie when they're complaining about all the script rewrites mm-hmm. on stab oh, that's funny that's funny so this film obviously features the return of sydney prescott played by nev campbell it's her 50th birthday today when we're recording so that's funny happy birthday nev david arquette and courtney cox come back as dewey riley and gail weathers now, they were married on this film. Courtney Cox said that in Scream 1, they fell in love. Scream 2, they were just sleeping together. And in this one, they were sharing the same trailer. Whether or not their chemistry comes across, we can discuss as we go along. And also, Roger Jackson comes back as a voice of Ghostface. Uh, that hmm. voice where, you know, he really makes the character with that voice. Um the movie also stars Gail Weathers Bangs with Courtney Cox's awful haircut. Baby Bangs so was terrible. such a big deal, though. That oh, was bad. such a fashion statement. Does anyone else like Baby Bangs were all the rage? Everybody, they were. Everybody they were. had them. But hers aren't even was... good, Baby Bangs. Oh, no, that was a mistake was yeah. with the wig, wasn't it? Like, didn't they like position the wig or something far back? I I don't know. I read it, but I don't. I don't retain any information anymore. I don't think it was a wig mistake because David Arquette took the blame for it. He said he wanted her to get that haircut. Mm. Well, it was a mistake. It was bad. It was a wig mistake or a David Arquette mistake. It was Mm -hmm. a mistake for sure. I dated a girl who went to get her haircut and the stylist gave her baby bangs and she cried for days. Yeah. Did you immediately break up with her? Mm, not immediately (laughs) but we did but we did stop going out in public (laughs) because of her or you who wanted to go out in public less (laughs) i think it's probably mutually agreed upon while looking at the banks 
She <laughs> can't do anything with that, but put a hat on. Yeah. Like there's no like, oh, I'm gonna clip them back. It's really terrible. It's like you um, so now, obviously, for our social medias, I'm going to have to ask Julia, Lindsay, and Kendall to send us pictures of them with their baby bangs so we can post them on all our social medias when this episode drops. I never had baby bangs. I was not cool. My hair is pushed back because I just got out of the shower, but um, I cut my bangs myself a couple weeks ago because they were too long <laughs> and I cut them too short. Um, and then when I got my hair cut, she had to fix them. So I... I did have baby bangs for a hot minute. <laughs> yeah. Did yeah. you make the fatal cut them with your eyebrows up? No, I've done that. I before. think I probably did. <laughs> yeah. I was so over them being so long and like I needed a haircut in general. So I just cut them and it wasn't good times. <laughs> so this cast introduces a whole new slew of characters. Patrick Dempsey, McDreamy himself. Is he a cutie McCuke face, Julia? He's like a young cutie, cutie. He's like, yeah. In Grey's Anatomy, he was like mature cutie McCuke face. But in this one, he's like, dang, you're a baby. And look at those (laughs) curls on your head. He's fresh (laughs) out of the 80s. He's super cute. Parker Posey is in this. I love Parker Posey. Mm -hmm. Have you watched, have you watched her in House of Yes yet, Anthony? Uh, Is that the new Netflix show? No, that's the JFK movie I keep telling you about where she's obsessed with Jackie. I have not. I think I brought it up probably two dozen times on the show. Yeah, I think that's right. You should watch Adding it to my list, Tom. His list. (laughs) (laughs) Scott Foley is in this. Leif Schreiber has a cameo. Jamie Kennedy has a cameo. Jenny McCarthy is in this. Mm. Emily Mortimer is in this. And Uh her character was supposed to have a much bigger role, but the Weinsteins... Cut back on that, and we'll talk about that as we go on. Yeah, uh, uh, Patrick Warburton was in this. I love Heather. Him. Heather Matarazzo is in this, and Carrie Fisher and James on the Bob have cameos in this film as yeah. well. Lance Hendrickson, hello. Yes, Lance Hendrickson. Hendrickson, who, yeah, so I liked we will de- when it came out. Well, we will definitely talk about his character, the producer Stab Three, because it's. That character takes on a whole new meaning post-2017, I think. Yeah. yeah. But let's get right into the film. So like every Scream film, this one opens up with a phone call. And we see Cotton Weary driving through L.A. in traffic. Cotton Weary is obviously from the first two films. Sydney had wrongfully accused him of murdering her mom. And then he got off in Scream 2 and ended up helping save Sydney in the end of that film. And apparently he's a guest, he's a host of some trashy talk show now, and he has a cameo in Stab 3 as himself. And a female fan calls him and starts flirting with him. And while his girlfriend's at home by herself. Yes, while Mm -hmm. he's on on the road home to his girlfriend. But unfortunately for Cotton, this... It's not his girlfriend, uh, not a fan. It's Ghostface. He's in their condo watching his girlfriend shower and he gives Cotton a choice. You can save your girlfriend's life or tell me where Sidney Prescott's location is. Now help me out here, guys, because why would he- Wait, those are the same thing. He would tell where Sidney lived and save his girlfriend's life. 
Yes, you're correct. Apologies. I phrased it right. Because <laughs> obviously, it's good. <laughs> this is why we keep your Tom, you like to point out Anthony's <laughs> mistakes. <laughs> I know they happen so few and far in between. <laughs> um, I've always got to be on my A game. <laughs> why would Cotton know where Sydney is if Sydney's been in hiding? Like, why would Ghostface assume Cotton knows? Good question. She saved her life in the last one. I, it's not a good reason, but he probably. I think your inherent, I think your inherent flaw right now, Anthony, is you're trying to think about this movie from a logical perspective and make sense out of garbage. If I see, <laughs> if I see the scribblings of a rando three year old, I don't try to read them and think that they make sense. <laughs> I had an answer, but I don't want to answer anymore. No, please, Kendall, <laughs> tell us. Um, <laughs> well, I, I guess because he's a survivor too, maybe just like Dewey and Gail were kind of in contact with Sydney, um, in the you know the later movies as well. Maybe that's why. I don't know. I am grasping at straws, but trying to make sense. I think that if we look to the first two movies as examples, or at least the first movie as an example, and it's been a minute since I've seen the second one, so I can't speak uh, to that. But the first murders don't really have anything to do with the rest of the murders. They're not connected. That's just the that's just the first domino the fear mongering i feel like but in his mm. phone call with cotton he did say you have connections so maybe he assumes that since cotton is in mm. the media or knows people that he could that he may know but i just mm -hmm. my take on it was that it was just like the other movies and it didn't necessarily have a ton of connection with the rest of the murders that's true it's probably trying to draw sydney there yeah mm. yeah you're probably right well ghostface manages to freak out cotton and hang up on him and stalk his girlfriend and we find out here that ghostface has some new technology his voice changer can imitate other people's voices now and not just the roger jackson voice he has a talk boy mm -hmm. It's not, I mean, it's not new technology, <laughs> but there, there, it's, a, it's changing whatever he's saying into those voices, which is something AI can kind of do now, but was not technology. Like, there's a there's a literal deleted scene from this film where you see a computer with MP3 files, Sydney's voice, Dewey's voice, and he's dragging it onto like. Oh, I'm so <laughs> sad they removed that. <laughs> That's funny. That would have been useful. <laughs> obviously ghostface kills cotton's girlfriend and cotton when cotton gets home and before he kills cotton he's like you know you failed man you had to all you had to do is tell me where sydney is and he kills him and the title card comes up well i don't think he would have had such an easy time killing cotton had his girlfriend not whacked him on the side of the head with a golf club <laughs> that's true especially because Liv Schreiber is like a huge dude too yeah he's a big old boy once it, once we get the title card we do see where Sydney is what's Sydney doing with her life now Julia 
she's strolling in the beautiful sunshine out in the woods and locking gates behind her and she has a um you know attack dog that's her like best buddy and it's her dad right is that her dad Mm -hmm. okay and she's living with her dad or her dad comes out to the cabin a lot or whatever and that's like that's like all she's doing and then she's just like dark webbing it up trying to research stuff so yeah yeah she's fortified her life and she's in hiding which i mean if i was the target of two murder sprees i'd probably isolate myself from the world too absolutely although i always find the isolated houses like that in the middle of the woods scarier than having neighbors so i would be more scared Mm. if i were her me too that's yeah same also she could have moved out of the state (laughs) <laughs> if she really wanted to isolate herself, move across the country. There are multiple other coasts you can live on. Mm-hmm. It's it like a fatal flaw. No, you just like walk up a mountain. I also do like though that she is a phone counselor for yeah mm. abused women. Me too. Yeah, I liked that. That seemed right with her character. Mm-hmm. Yes, and she uses an yeah, alias and everything. Trauma all the time. I mean. That's what she specializes in. (laughs) Just harnessing her strengths. She does use an alias, though. She dials in from, like, she has a work line and a home line. So nobody knows who she is or where she is, except her dad, we presume. And then she says, this is before cell phones, Tom. The government wasn't tracking her at this point. Oh, actually, actually. Actually, that's not true. They Ghostface has a cell phone, so I take that I take that back. Ghostface had a cell phone in the first one. Yeah, yeah. I, take, I take all that back. Never, <laughs> never mind. But uh, Sydney does see on TV Cotton Weary was dead, and it seems to rattle her. Well, we sure, Ke- it rattles her. Yeah, it's like yeah. five degrees of Kevin Bacon or whatever it's called, right? Yeah. <laughs> Six degrees. <laughs> Seven degrees. Seven degrees. <laughs> Gosh, some amount of degree. I don't know. One, one, one degree of Sydney Prescott. How many people does she know get murdered? Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> we then catch up with Gail. And what's Gail doing with her life now, Lindsay? She's working on a fictional version of Entertainment Tonight, right? She's like the host. <laughs> it's But then they, I can't, it was... Tonight Entertainment. They literally like just flipped the <laughs> letters instead of E P. It was T E. Yep. <laughs> yep. And she's giving a lecture at a school giving of journalism, lecture, yes. even though she was never a real journalist. She was always kind of that Nancy Grace like tabloid type. Yeah. Yeah. Journalistic integrity, not necessarily <laughs> her main focus. That'd be um, like having John Tesh come speak at your thing, right? Like. <laughs> Nobody's going to take that seriously as a journalist. <laughs> but she's Maybe aware of to play that, some right? Piano to put me to sleep. Kind of. She still thinks she's like important. She well, thinks yes. she's going to win a Pulitzer. Still, I mean, yeah, isn't she yeah. trying to change her stripes? I think she so. she made a bunch of blood money, and that's what made her popular. Yeah, she I think bunch- she wants to do good, but I think she also likes money better. Like, yeah, money more. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And she's called out for her in Scream 6 and somebody says, you're fear, you're irrelevant. Without go- without Ghostface, who are you? And mm-hmm. she's wearing, she wears a lot of yellow in all the movies that she's in, <laughs> which really is giving April from Ninja Turtles vibes. Yeah. Yes, yes, it is. 
Yes. <laughs> if only she had. I don't know if that was intentional, but I did. If like only that she choice. had April's hairstyle. Yeah. Yeah. And April's journalistic integrity. I was about to <laughs> say her integrity too. <laughs> and her connection to Ninja Turtles. Yeah, that, <laughs> that just goes without saying. <laughs> but after this lecture she's giving, we meet Detective Mark Kincaid, Patrick Dempsey, who comes to Gail Weathers because she's the authority on the Woodsboro murder. She wrote the books, the movies based on her books. And he wants her help because Cottonweary was killed. And at the crime scene, a photo of Sydney's mom, a young photo of Sydney's mom, was found. So Gail goes Enter to potential suspect number one. Patrick Dempsey. Yeah. So did you think Patrick Dempsey was a killer? Well, at we'll some get point, into it. yes. <laughs> so Gail takes this and runs with it, and she goes to the set of stab three to go investigate, because obviously. You know, Stab 3 is in a sense of, like, shutdown almost. They're trying to figure out whether to continue with the movie. Um, John Milton, the producer, wants to, even though it's the first murder on his set in, in ever. Um, and the cast is wary. And when Gail arrives on set, she meets Parker Posey's Jennifer Jolie. Who mm-hmm. are they? Who is she named after, I wonder? Jennifer Aniston and Angelina Jolie. Just combine the names. And Jennifer Jolie is playing her in Stab 3. And she's even wearing the lime green suit from the first screen movie that Gail always wore. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's a bit, how would you describe this character? Insufferable. Yeah. Like she all tries, Parker Posey characters. Yeah. <laughs> she tries to be so much like Gail and it's just, it's too much. She's a lot. Mm-hmm. But who... It's also on set here, Kendall. Dewey, Deputy Dewey. Deputy Dewey. He's he's a man now. He was 25 in the first screen. He's grown up. He has his hair gelled back. He's a he's, professional. He's gross looking in this one. He's so He looks like, very greasy in this one. Yeah. He's isn't he like security or like he's working on it for accuracy or something i don't know he's like hanging out with fake gail a lot parker posey well he's dating he's dating fake Gale. that's right he's yeah. dating her They're yeah together. he's the consultant he's, he's the person, consultant that's the word i was trying to yeah think. he's the person the producer director whoever hired for yeah i think accuracy because he was there Mm-hmm. Because, yeah he said i'm sure he, li- he was getting paid handsomely for it <laughs> he yeah. said he lived through a wit so he could do that and he said he's helping jennifer figure out the lost and lonely little girl <laughs> it oh just <laughs> it just seems so like not dewey's personality to do that because he well we I find out know. he does have an ulterior motive later on mm-hmm. but yeah we meet some of the cast here and the cast of stab three is except for Jennifer Jolie, very inconsequential. And that's a weakness of this movie too, compared to the first two. Like the supporting cast was yeah. just, I mean, you didn't care, yeah, don't care about any of them. Yeah. Um, but they're talking about how, what they're going to do if the movie's canceled. And, you know, the girl who plays Sydney, Angelina, played by Emily Mortimer, they keep saying, oh, you must be really upset if this movie gets canceled because it's going to be a big breakout role. And, you know, what did you have to do to get that role out of thousands of girls? Suspect number two. 
And if only something came of that, but we'll get to that. Anyway, Milton finds Gail on set and kicks her out because he doesn't want press on set, even though she's working with the cops. And as she's kicked out, the film is placed firmly in the View Askew universe because she runs into Jay and Silent Bob as Jay and Silent Bob. (laughs) 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 Who mistake her for Connie Chung and gives him the finger and storms off. I loved Jay and Silent Bob's cameo. That made me so happy. <laughs> me too. <laughs> they were just so Jay and Silent Bob. They really were. They really were. I'm not used to seeing Kevin Smith that big anymore because he looks so sickly then now. I do feel like that cameo kind of further waters down this movie. Like it takes you out of, it's just silly. Oh, 100%. But 100%. <laughs> Um, so we go back to Sydney's and Julia, you said her dad's there and he's like, it's like you've disappeared from the planet. You don't talk to anyone. You don't have friends. You don't date. You just stay up here. It's like you don't exist. And Sydney's like, well, that's the idea. If I don't exist, nobody can find me. Yeah. And she falls asleep in front of the TV that night. And the little scream goes a little supernatural for a minute because she has this really weird nightmare with her mom I hate this. Yeah. Yeah. Like a lot of tapping on the window and her mom is like this ghostly visit. Scary. This is so scary. It is scary. It's such a different (laughs) scary than. Yes. Scream scary. It was odd. It freaks Um, me out the first time I saw this. She had the dream. The mom morphs into ghost face at the very end. And then Sydney jolts awake on the couch. And let me tell you. Her guard dog. And scares the guard dog. That's right. And I tell you, I've fallen asleep during this movie before and woke up during that scene like Sydney did. And that visage of her mother did scare me. Like, that's scary. That scene scared me the first time I saw it. Yeah. I remember the first time I saw it thinking it was really scary. And like you said, Julia, it doesn't really fit in. It's very Mm -hmm. different. It has Salem's Lot vibe to it. Yeah. Like the little boy in the window. The tapping on the window and the boy in the window. It's like. This is not what I expected. Do we? Is this the first movie we even talk about her mom? I don't. No, well, we know no. Billy killed her mom, Billy, because but, he was having an affair with the dad. Yeah. Right. But no yeah. other like. Yeah. So many affairs. She's well, she's yeah. kind of slut slut shamed. She definitely is slut shamed. She ruined families. Like they Which blame her for to tango, but whatever. They blame her for everything that happens in the series. Hold on, hold on. We, she did not ruin families. She didn't make anybody do anything. The, exactly. The <laughs> to a a marital covenant. I hate the term homewrecker. No, the person who is married who decides to be unfaithful is the homewrecker. I'm not I saying agree. the other person's good, but they can't take all the blame. Like they're not the the, the really bad person is the cheater. Right, and we'll talk about this later on when we talk more about Milton, but this film did get a reevaluation during the Me Too movement where people tend to view it in a better light. Anyway, for how Maureen was... The Weinstein movie got reevaluated during Me Too? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. I mean, they straight up talk about what is expected for actors and actresses to do to get roles. That is... A very open conversation in this movie. He even throughout says, the movie. 
-hmm. even says nothing was done to her she didn't bring on herself maybe she wasn't cut out for this industry yeah that sounds rapey 100 and the fact that harvey feinstein produced this film makes yeah. it even worse like it's almost like so, yeah either he didn't even see himself like in he's this, bragging oh yeah or he's bragging like yeah. i can get away with it like <laughs> honestly yes that man's a narcissist absolutely he probably put it in there on purpose mm-hmm. but we are not there yet because first we see jenny mccarthy's character sarah and now jenny mccarthy for kids who don't know who she was she was a popular playboy model back in the day and she was clearly hired for her two biggest assets alone and she goes to the studio because roman the director wants to run lines but when she goes to the studio it's completely empty and she gets a phone call from roman saying he's late and can we run lines over the phone and of course it's Ghostface, and he chases her through the studio it's actually a cool bit where she goes into the costume department, hides amongst all the ghost face costumes, only for him to step off the rack and kill mm-hmm. her. And he throws her through a window. And she's dead. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I love the bit that they do, though, on the phone where he says the wrong name. Uh-huh. And she uh- gets angry about another script change. She <laughs> yeah. doesn't fully realize what's going on. Has there been another guy? rewrite yeah. how am i supposed to learn my lines <laughs> yeah i did like that so gail and dewey are reconnecting over lunch this is where we find out kind of what it's been going on with their relationship since the last movie they realized they were different dewey never planned on leaving woodsboro and gail's kind of annoyed well here you are in hollywood and dewey reveals well i'm not just here consulting a few months back somebody tried to get sydney's case file from the local police department and they declined and the records were broken into but dewey had already removed her file beforehand so he's here because he thinks somebody obviously is after sydney and gail's like oh this is amazing can we this has to be on record and dewey gets frustrated with her need to turn tragedy into story at the stab the reset, we meet Kincaid and his partner, his cop partner. Did his cop partner remind anyone else of Ben Stiller? Because that's all I could think of. Yes. I yeah. See that. I see that. That's funny. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's like down Ben Stiller. Yeah. <laughs> he really was. What a good call out. And Dewey and Gail are called there and they figure out the killer is killing in the order the characters die in the script. He's killing off the actors in order Mm -hmm. they die in the script. And Kincaid points out, well, there are three scripts going around, so we don't know who dies next. And Roman, the director, is like more concerned with his production than anything. He's getting heat from the studio and gets taken in for questioning because Sarah was there to talk to him. And he's convinced there's a conspiracy to shut down his movie. But, uh-oh, <laughs> at home, we cut to Sydney, and what happens with her now at home in her isolated existence? She gets a phone call <gasps> on her home phone, not her crisis phone. Mm-hmm. Who is it, Tom? I'm sure this is going to shock everybody as <laughs> much as it shocked me. It's Ghostface. 
What? <laughs> I must have missed that part. <laughs> right? And Ghostface tells, starts using her mother's voice. How he got her mother's voice when her mother's been long dead, I don't know. But she did movies. She was in movies. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, okay, that's fair. Ties in, especially knowing what we know about the end of the movie. And they tell Sydney to put on the news, and Sydney sees news of another murder. And the news speculating, hopefully it's over. And Ghostface is like, do you think it's over, Sydney? Do ya? And she hangs up the phone, and she's terrified. Mm-hmm. Also terrified is Jennifer Jolie, because she dies next in one of the scripts. Gail dies in one of the scripts, much to real Gail's annoyance which i think is funny like they clearly did the first two movies based on the first two events and then the franchise has got to continue so they just went off script from real life and And jennifer jolie has hired personal security at her house and who's her bodyguard julia it's crunk patrick warburton it's so happy love him so much putty that's who i know him as (laughs) he also made a seinfeld reference at the very beginning of the movie when they're going through the back studios they say that's the old seinfeld the the old seinfeld stage yep and then putty is there in it putty is there yep and he is complete patrick warburton he 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 disparages Dewey. He's like, "Yo, dude, drop." I'm so I love just... that. <laughs> <laughs> dude, drop. <laughs> uh, and he's just a jerk to him and everyone. <laughs> so it is this scene, I believe, that really dates a movie for me, because Ghost. There's a little cast gathering at Jennifer's house. They're mourning the end of their movie careers because the movie's been put on hold. Mm-hmm. and Ghostface doesn't just use a phone in this scene what piece of technology does he use in this scene oh the fax machine the fax machine oh, yeah. oh the because anxiety who has a home <laughs> fax machine <laughs> like offices have fax machines that... rich people rich people rich had... people mm-hmm. even now still oh I don't know about now my office but... doesn't even have a fax machine <laughs> My office, when I worked in an office, we didn't. It was the worst form of technology ever. Yeah. It's awful. Yeah. So Ghostface dispatches of Patrick Warburton's character very quickly in Dewey's trailer. And then he starts faxing rewritten script pages (laughs) to the cast. And the cast is freaking out because he cut the power and they're trying to read these pages. And the script says they all huddle inside where they're safe. So Dewey's like, that means... We're not safe inside. We have to go outside. So if they cut the power, how did the fax machine still work? That's an excellent question. <laughs> I just <laughs> <laughs> thinking about that now. <laughs> Very uh, good question. Suspension mm. of disbelief. It's fine. Moving it's on. It's fine. On. Go on. What the script pages say, the killer will give mercy to, and they really want to figure out who the killer is going to give mercy to. So fake Dewey runs back into the house. And all of a sudden, oh, he can't yeah. read in the he can't read in the dark. He can't write make out the two words on the paper in the dark. So he lights his cigarette lighter or whatever, and it says, "Whoever." And it gives can... off like an astounding amount of light, by the way, for the <laughs> yes, cigarette it lighter. <laughs> <laughs> and it says, "Whoever smells the gas, Ghostface had turned on the gas, and the house blows up, killing killing fake Dewey and." 
Real Dewey, Real Gale, and Jennifer Jolie are like thrown backwards off a cliff, practically. And so, one thing I have a problem with in this movie is that I don't care about the supporting cast and when they die. Most of the time in these movies, not all the time, but most of them, the ones that die, you know, you kind of care that they died. The first couple, maybe not so much, but like this guy was in it most of the movie and I did not care about him. None of the cast of that movie of Stab 3 I cared about mm-hmm. except for maybe Fake Gale. I liked her. I liked Fake Gale too. Mm-hmm. She was I did one too. I probably cared she, about the most. I love the Gale of, Gale. Yes. Them she playing off of each other was good. Kind of filled in a little bit for the Nev Campbell you know that was the hole that she had left and Nev Campbell is not in this movie a lot because she was so busy with Party of Five they only had her for like a week or two yeah so she was hardly in it and I think maybe that's why they made the character of Fake Gil um to sort of fill in that that hole but I I liked it like you said I like them going off of each other it was kind of like a buddy cop almost like they're silly and snarky and she's trying to be just like her and And they're trying to one-up each other like it's very it's very funny like when they're trying to break into the studio later on fake gail has a (laughs) has a card key and then like real gail tries to offer like fifty dollars and fake gail's like fifty (laughs) dollars it is very funny that was so funny $50? $50? I can't remember what she said exactly, but I thought it was so funny. And then she ripped off that $2,000 ring. <laughs> but when they're all, when the house explodes, they're all thrown down this hill. And Dewey, that without a scratch, Dewey stands mm. up and he hears fake Gale calling from him and real Gale. And of course, he goes running to real Gale who is in the middle of the street in front of a car that ghost face comes out from behind and from like 500 yards Dewey nearly hits the sky and ghost face goes running off and of course they find another picture of Maureen Prescott there mm. so this killer's calling card and right when Dewey and Gail are about to kiss because he just saved her life Jennifer Jolie shows up and starts berating him to the point where real Gale slaps her in the face. And fake Gale's oh, like, my lawyer liked that. And Gale's <laughs> like, not as much as I did. <laughs> I love it because it's kind of a callback to the first two movies where real Gale got punched. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I love that. We, my husband and I were watching all of these movies back to back. And we had like a running list of how many, like, which movie she got punched in the face and during this one he's like make sure you put it It was fake gale my favorite's in six when she dodges sam's punch and the terror comes in and punches her from the side yeah i love that that one and then angelina angelina the non-character in this movie just comes stumbling down the hill like are we Mm -hmm. safe (laughs) so she's a she's a suspect (laughs) gale and dewey go to the cops to discuss what happened um they come up with this theory that whoever the killer is they must have known billy and Stu because they know all the details about maureen prescott and what happened to her 
And Kincaid, this whole time, has been like, I want to talk to Sydney. I need to talk to Sydney. He's very adamant. Like, I need to talk to Sydney. You need to tell me where she is. Yeah. So Julia's point, very suspicious behavior. Very. So Dewey goes out to call Sydney and tell her to stay away. When Sydney shows up of her own, she figured she got a call. But at least here, she's amongst friends. And uh, immediately, when Dewey brings her in, you could tell Kincaid is smitten. He's hmm. like, Sydney, ooh, ooh, look at me, I'm McDreamy. <laughs> Sydney's shocked to see all the pictures of her mom on the board. And, you know, Kincaid wants to know, did your mom ever work in Hollywood? And Sydney has no idea about her mom's past life. Mm-hmm. So they decide to go to the studio. Sydney wants to see where the pictures are taken. And they were all taken at the studio. And it's at the studio. Who do we meet? Which character? Carrie Fisher, but not. No, not yet. Not yet. Is this a Randy's sister? Randy's sister. Wes Heather Maserato. Wes Craven said he regretted killing Randy early. Uh, they considered bringing him back in this one, but they were like, eh, he would never have survived that stabbing. Mm-hmm. There's no one who could write that. Mm-hmm. So, I did miss him. He, yes. I missed him the most in this movie. Mm-hmm. He's my favorite. You needed the- that type of character. You know, you need the yeah. all-knowing. Yeah. Yep. But she's arrived here because Brandy, before <laughs> his death in Scream 2, recorded a video <laughs> there's another round of murders bless his heart <laughs> and, he, and, he, and, he, and he's like if you're watching this i'm already dead i guess i shouldn't i guess i shouldn't have slept with karen kolchak and i liked it because dewey dewey's watching the video and he's like karen kolchak and randy on video is like hey shut up like, <laughs> um but Randy gives the rules of a trilogy because it's mm-hmm. a trilogy and basically the kills are bloodier and bigger and the killer is harder to kill and anyone can die. This means you, Sid, which none of those rules come to fruition in this film. Yeah, none of this ends up being true. It's not no. bloodier. Mm-hmm. It was probably true in one of the other scripts that they did that they never actually filmed, but the superhuman aspect isn't even right. Yeah. 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 Just a bulletproof vest. Yeah. Just a Lame-o. bulletproof vest. This is my favorite part of the whole movie, though. Yeah. Tell us here, Julia. This one scene. I just like the scene. I liked how Dewey interacted with Randy from beyond the grave on the sea. It was funny. <laughs> um, it gave what I really liked about Scream 1, right? Which is all the stereotypes of a horror mm-hmm. flick. Um, this felt like Scream. This mm-hmm. one scene, I liked it quite a lot. Yep. I also really like Heather Matarazzo. Like, yeah. I wish we got more of her. I will always associate her with the movie Sorority Boys, mm-hmm. if you've ever seen that. I yeah. love her character in that movie so much, but everything I ever see her in, I just love her in all of it. I wish we I got more. I like the Princess Diaries. Yeah, that's what I associate her with. Princess Diaries, what most people associate her with. I was not. I mean, it was fine. It was a fine movie when it came out. I wasn't super into it. So, Sorority Boys, definitely. (laughs) That was that's a good movie too, though. I like that movie. So, 
But Julia, what happens here? You mentioned here, we get another cameo. So Gail and fake Gail team up to invest, go get records in the studio, see what they can find on Maureen Prescott. And who they who do they right. run into keeping the records? It's Carrie Fisher, but not Carrie Fisher. It's somebody who looks like Carrie Fisher, but it's not actually Carrie Fisher. And this is where we get the scene where um, real Gail tries to slip her, make some president's comment and tries to slip her 50 bucks and fake gales like you can um it's such an odd I, I think it's an odd casting choice i don't maybe it's not i'm not sure <laughs> like i don't well they don't they're always wanted it, to this they always wanted a big actress jamie julie curtis couldn't do it because of scheduling conflicts oh, they wanted her okay so they got carrie fisher and they but even, carrie like, fisher's not like a scream queen no right. So right. I think that's why maybe it She's felt Leia. real weird. She is. But like you said, Jamie Lee Curtis, and that would have been like, oh, yeah, like, like that yeah. would have been like, oh, like obviously. She's got not, Jamie Lee she Curtis. is not, she has never, Jamie Lee Curtis has never played Princess Leia. <laughs> thank you for the clarity. Sure. Yeah, thanks, Tom. <laughs> but I did like I, Carrie Fisher. She was observation. She was like, oh, I I know I look like her. I even auditioned for Star Wars, but who got the part? The one who slept with George Lucas. So I liked her oh. <laughs> making fun of herself. There, yeah. you, there you go with another nod to uh, actresses sleeping yeah. with the uh, the creators to get the job. It's mm-hmm. right not there, the last people. one. Right there. But she might not take Gail's bribe, but she takes fake Gail's bribe. And she's mm. like everyone's looking in the wrong place they won't find anything if you're looking at maureen prescott but if you look up rena reynolds you will that was her stage name mm-hmm. which which we have to retcon to make work well i find it funny that fake gail mocks her wearing a stage name and then carrie fisher calls her out judy jorgensen or whatever her real <laughs> name is <laughs> and not only does she reveal the name rena reynolds she reveals she did a bunch of low-budget horror movies working for John Milton back mm-hmm. in the day. Right. So the Gales go off moment. <laughs> to talk to John while one of my favorite scenes with Sydney happens. So she's in the bathroom and she runs into Angelina who has a ghost face right. mask and a phone and of course she's, yeah, mm-hmm. that's why I like it because she's in the bathroom. But uh, of course Angelina's suspicious. Well, yeah, she has all those ghost face paraphernalia. You think She's sti- yeah. She says she's stealing it as, you know, memories from the set. Yeah. yeah. Um, but she leaves something behind and Sydney goes to give it to her and she walks onto set. And I loved the, I love this whole scene. She's yeah. back in Woodsboro uh-huh. and it's Stu's house from the first movie and her house. And you get the, you know, Sydney, that operatic oh, theme as she walks mm-hmm. in. And, this uh, was really good. This was spooky too. And you really yeah. felt the emotions here. Yep. yep. Because she sees like, you know, the cat door with the blood on the garage, like everything she went through, she sees now reconstructed. And she even goes into her old house and sits on the bed and she's having like the memory flashbacks of like, you know, talks of Billy and everything. Mm-hmm. And like and the layout of the set and the cat and mouse chase through it really was expertly blocked. Yes. Yeah. So that one section where she runs up the stairs and opens the door to run out, but there's nothing there because we all remember now it's a set and not an mm-hmm. actual house was 
one of my favorite parts yes. in that whole scene. I thought well, that it was just really cool. I like that Sydney kept trying to do things she did to escape Ghostface in the past, like putting her, jamming her closet door under the door, but it's a set. So he just comes in through the closet or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I really like that. Like, and I feel like this set piece was so well done. Like, I feel like it probably would have had more emotion if the finale was set here, like in fake Woodsboro with the killer. Mm-hmm. Yes. So As opposed to some Milton's house. big mansion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This I'm so confused by that choice. This was more finale for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That would have been better. Him. And uh, she's, you know, eventually Dewey and Kincaid arrive on set and Sydney's has like a nervous breakdown. She claims she saw the killer and of course the killer is gone. So fake Ben Stiller's questions, uh, Angelina, she's like, <laughs> I, t- I took the mask. He's like, you took the mask. Or I, she's like, I, I, I stole the mask. Stole. You took the mask or you stole the mask? And she was like getting all flustered with this question, <laughs> which I really like. So then we get to the really... The conversation that really sticks out now, uh, post the Harvey Weinstein scandal, and that's with the Gales interrogating Milton. Which, first of all, they go in and Roman is there, <laughs> complaining about his movie being canceled and asking if Milton's gonna show up for the party. Which, of course, he is. It's they're having it at his house, his birthday party mm-hmm. at his house. So, of course, <laughs> they're gonna show. He's gonna show up. But um, they confront Milton about Maureen Prescott who Milton claims he doesn't know. And so they're like, what about Rena Reynolds? And Milton acknowledges he knew her. And they accuse him of becoming, of being obsessed with her daughter. And Milton's like, well, you know, (laughs) that's not the deal here. Making Stab wasn't my idea. It wasn't my idea. I bought the script and didn't realize until halfway through who I was making a movie about. Mm. And he was like, I kept it hidden because could you imagine the press that this actress used to make movies at my studio and bad things happened to her? And yeah, he acknowledged Reno was working for him and he had a, his parties were famous back in the day. And, you know, you get the idea they were the stereotypical Hollywood parties from back then. Lots of drugs and booze and sex. And he mm-hmm. acknowledged that Rena Maureen might have been attacked and things might have got out of hand. But anything that happened to her, if she was taking advantage of on, she brought on herself. And maybe she just couldn't handle Hollywood. And this scene is uber creepy it was always creepy but uber skeezy now in light yeah. of everything with harvey weinstein absolutely yep and yeah but i mean yeah i mean again it must it goes to show weinstein's arrogance like watching a screener of this movie and just leaving it in like 100 uh-huh. percent. like no one's going to realize that's me and if they do who cares because i'm too powerful to touch but it also wasn't just him I mean, that's how yeah. Hollywood worked. That's yeah. how it worked on a lot of. Yeah, that's probably, yeah, probably still yeah, how I it think works. that's a great point. I think the, the Hollywood narrative we spun is, oh, it was Harvey Weinstein. And just look at the way we're talking about it. It's all about Harvey Weinstein. It's not about everybody else who is. You're absolutely right. You're right. Yeah. But for Weinstein, it feels like. This is kind of, you know, a, a a serial killer writing his note to the police or mm-hmm. 
keeping trophies around so that he can look at them. Like this is his way of saying, I've got you fooled. Full narcissistic behavior right there. That's absolutely what that is. Yeah. But just to give you guys an idea of the breadth and depth, I was in a theater class in 2006 and the professor told us as barely adults slash some teenagers that this is how it works. And I'm telling you this now that all of you at some point, if you choose to try to make this a career, will be propositioned to, you know, give favors for parts. And you need to make that decision now as to what you will do when that comes up. And that's why I'm telling you. So this is something that has been an integral part of and a well-known part of Mm -hmm. the movie making and even the stage business for a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's a great point, Lindsay and Tom. It is all of Hollywood, not just Harvey Weinstein. I want to just clarify, I keep bringing up Weinstein because he produced the film. So it is like Tom said, like, this is a serial yeah. killer's manifesto almost. Yes. Like Weinstein is specifically topical to this, yeah. <laughs> to this specific Especially, film. Especially, yes, yes, yes. Yep. And just so we're all clear, none of us are Harvey Weinstein fans. Nope. In case that was not... Hard no. I, just, I wanted to be on the record. That none of us are defending Harvey Weinstein. Yes. Nor Bob Weinstein fans. Because yeah, Bob no. Weinstein, according to Jay and Ron, is the one who gives the awful horror notes. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I hate that guy. Sydney's back at the police station with Kincaid at this point. He's like, hey, I believe you. I think you're telling the truth about Ghostface chasing you around that set, which is good news. Because if the killer's there, that means he's real. And I know two ways to deal with the killer. Catch him or kill him. And Sydney. I guess it's her way of flirting. She's like, hey, what's your favorite scary movie, detective? And it gets all up in her face. He's like, my life. (laughs) (laughs) So serious. (laughs) (laughs) Which is the sexiest way to talk about your horrific life. (laughs) 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 Hey. I don't know if you know this or not. My dad's dead. <laughs> Does that work as a pickup line? No. It's so creepy. It's so creepy. Like this person who can't get past all this trauma. She's going to use the the tagline from the first phone calls to seduce. Ugh. So Dewey, Gale, and Jennifer, meanwhile, are on their way to the police station when they get a call from Sydney saying, hey, I'm going to Milton's house for Roman's birthday party because I think Milton has information on my mom and I want to talk to him there. He said he promised me information on my mother and I want to go and talk to him. And Dewey and Gail are like, oh, that's not really a good idea. And she's like, I'll be fine. He keeps with me. So Dewey turns the car around and heads for Milton's mansion. Now, at this point, Julia, did you realize it was Ghostface on the call with them, telling them, hey, we're going to the mansion instead. Why don't go back to the police station? Or did you um, actually think it was Sydney? No, I I had I did not think it was Sydney. Well, you're smart because they show you up at the smart. Yeah, they she show up at the too party. Buoyant to be Sydney. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, good point. <laughs> 
And it's quickly confirmed it wasn't Sydney because when they get to the birthday party, they're like, where's Sydney? And Roman's like, Sydney's right there. And he points to Angelina and they're like, no, not. And Jennifer's like, not Sydney, Sydney. And he's like, oh, Sydney Prescott? I would never invite her to my party. And immediate red flags for Gail and Dewey as Roman and the rest of the cast, for some reason, decide to split up and go explore this mansion. Because yeah. what Kill else are you going to do, right? Well, there's rumors, there's a secret screening room, they want to find it. But still, it's a giant mansion in Hollywood and the killer's on the loose. I'm going to stay in a well-lit room stay with people. together. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like Throughout this, they at least, uh, earlier in the beginning, they made reference to the script and how people were just basically doing everything stupid that the script said their yeah. character would do. Mm-hmm. And they're still, but- they're still doing it. And again, to Julia's point, it was smart in Scream 1 when Sydney was like, oh, you know, the big boob girl always runs up the stairs instead of out the door. And then when Ghostface comes out, she can't get out the front door. So she has no choice but to run up the stairs. And that was smart. She wasn't an idiot, but here they're just idiots. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, Ghostface attacks. And how does he knock off a bunch of these people here? Emily Mortimer at the base of the stairs with a knife. Yeah, who who literally says before she dies, I did not <laughs> that pig Milton. To get her role. Yeah, to get the role. We get um over the balcony. Uh what's his name? Tyler? Tyson. Tyson over the balcony onto the pool deck. My favorite though was Gail, fake Gail. Oh yeah, she, that was good. No, she was gets good. stuck behind the two-way mirror, right? She's like and on it to get. Her- I like though she makes that offhanded comment that she's the one that was supposed to be guilty, right? She was supposed to be the killer in in the stab movie. Doesn't she say that? Yeah, you can't kill me. I'm yeah. the killer. <laughs> yeah, I'm the killer. That's right. So she's pounding on the glass, and Dewey sees the glass shattering because the soundproofing is like real good like real good yeah (laughs) but he sees the glass like slowly or vibrating and so he starts shooting you know which i'm like that's a little risky but he starts shooting the glass out and ends up shooting the glass she's banging on but not before she gets Mm -hmm. well he starts shooting at not the areas that are banging well i I, I think because he doesn't want to shoot her accidentally Right, but I just feel like that's a risk, though. Yeah, like, sure. You sure. couldn't throw yeah. a, a chair through the glass that's vibrating. You use the firearm. It's and fine. are we just gonna like? Also, he kept going. Yeah, like yeah. he shot every single mirror. Yeah, that was unnecessary. She, she could have. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it was unnecessary. Mm-hmm. It was. Are we going to like skip over just gloss over the fact why there was a two-way mirror in that house? Well, <laughs> I figured it just. Factors yeah, into yeah. all the stuff yeah. we've well, been talking again, about. Again, yeah, like Milton yeah. is famous for these Milton's house, right? Hollywood he's a dirty birdie. Yeah, yeah, That's he's right. a dirty birdie. Also, this entire scene is basically the movie. It's basically Clue, but with <laughs> more blood. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, but and just so a little more blood, funny. not that much more blood. I think <laughs> Clue actually had quite a lot of blood. Yeah. <laughs> And it's also Looney Tunes because the way Dewey and Gail here, Gail goes tumbling down the stairs of Ghostface, and Ghostface they is are unconscious. Looney Tunes. 
Lou's <laughs> face is unconscious, and Gail calls Dewey upstairs, and she's like, "Dewey, I'm trapped at the bottom of the stairs with the killer." Yeah. And Dewey's like, well, "How do I know oh, this is a real girl? I know this is a real girl." Gail the same voice. That's a valid question, though. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Okay, but then it gets really Looney Tunes because he opens the door, and just as he opens the door, Ghostface stands up, and Dewey's like, "Hey!" And Ghostface looks up at him and literally throws his knife through the air, <laughs> and it hits the handle hits him in the forehead, and Dewey goes tumbling down the stairs like oh, he's the wily coyote. Which yeah. is just, a, is, I mean, the the tumbles here and uh, down the hill outside of the. The yeah. swimming pool fax machine area explosion were pretty epic. Yeah. Yep. And uh as Gail goes over to his unconscious form body, ghost face hovers over them, and you're not sure whether or not he's gonna kill them because we mm-hmm. cut to the police station because Sydney is alone. And to further add suspicion to Kincaid, she's going through his files and he seems like he's been quite obsessed with her. He has all these yeah. newspaper clippings and magazine articles. and But we've all seen this movie, so not a single one of us thinks he's ghost-faced. True. Julia did. I, I thought he was. And I even went so far as to call other things that I ended up being right about. Just not with the right person. I was I was killing it watching this. I was sidebar texting Anthony. I'm like, don't tell me, but is this true? But don't tell me. I'm just spitballing, but like, don't tell me if this is true. <laughs> and then like I was I was on point. Which you were. I don't feel like I, I can be excited about because of the quality of <laughs> If you were on like, point for Scream 1, now that would have been like... Yeah, that would have been impressive. But this one yeah. is like a real low bar to kind of hit. No <laughs> one on was point. on point for Scream 1. That's why that no. movie was so perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Ghostface calls Sydney at the police station. And Sydney goes to do the smart thing. She goes to alert the police in the pig pen. But Ghostface is like, don't tell anyone I'm on the phone or your friends are going to get it. And then you hear... Dewey and Gail in the background. Don't come here, Sydney. It's a trap, Sydney. <laughs> and Ghostface tells her, basically, come to Milton's house alone and unarmed, or mm-hmm. I'm going to kill Dewey and Gail. Mm-hmm. So, I just want to point out that Nev Campbell has perfected in every single one of these movies and others the eye welling look. Where mm-hmm. it yes. looks like she is about to cry yes. and she never does. Mm-hmm. It's like she put Vicks Vapor Rub right yes. under her yes. eyelashes. Yes. Perfected and it. Can we just real quick talk about how well she has aged? She's just so beautiful and Phenomenal. I just love her. Okay, that's all. Can we can we talk about the small costume detail I love? She's still wearing the Greek letters of her boyfriend around her neck who died Aww. in number two. That's cute. I didn't notice that. Yeah. So Sydney shows up at Milton's house and Ghostface puts her through. He he has a metal detecting wand outside and he's like, wave it over yourself. And of course she has a gun in her (laughs) gun in her boot. And he makes her throw it into the pool and then she comes inside to join the party. And when she does, she finds Gail and Dewey tied up. And Dewey's like, sit! Sid, behind you! And he goes, Ghostface has come out. 
But Sydney's trick, Mr. Ghostface Hater, because she has a second gun and she unloads a clip right in the chest and he goes mm-hmm. down. But we see the we see the the filling come out, the white filling. Mm-hmm. Yep, because as she's untie and as she's untying Galen Dewey, they are like, where'd he go? And he has disappeared. And Kincaid shows up now at this point. Everything's coming oh, together. Yeah. And uh, as I'm watching, I'm like, oh, Julia, this is probably where she's like, I knew he was a killer because he showed up right as Ghostface disappeared. Yeah. <laughs> I did. And he asked Sydney for the gun because he's there for help, but Sydney won't give it to him. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. because Ghostface pops out of nowhere and him and Kincaid get into a struggle. And poor Kincaid, he can't handle Mr. Ghostface. He goes down, he gets he stabbed. Just he just can't handle a knife. <laughs> he hits his head on the hit on the fireplace. It looked painful. Oh, it, it did. Looked, it looked fake as all get out. It's just like the, no, the knife hitting the head. It. <laughs> it was so like a high school drama class. I did think about this because Anthony, I feel like we had a similar conversation when we discussed Terrifier. <laughs> yes, I... I know where you're where you're going with this. <laughs> Normally guns have no place in a slasher film but <laughs> i feel like in this case it was all right it made sense to me it yeah. wasn't shocking i feel like ghostface always has a gun they always have a gun in the final act after uh, he drops the knife it's more common than i thought it was until i saw i watched them all recently they it is more common than i thought mm-hmm. because i thought it was but yeah. like the cops always have the guns, mm-hmm. and usually Ghostface is just with a knife. With, I feel like a few exceptions, but maybe I'm wrong. Kendall, you probably watched them all way more recently than it's, I did. It's definitely more knife for sure. But I think there was a gun in. They're all honestly running together, but I want to say there was That's one because in of the same movie. <laughs> There was one in the fourth one, I believe, and of course the shotgun in six. There might have been one in five. Oh there was gosh. one in five. Oh, shotgun's <sighs> different, though. I feel like there shotgun was, can have a place yeah. in, a, in a slasher movie. And, that and was that, scarier. And that wasn't his gun. He took that from the bodega guy after stabbing. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> in the fifth one, there was definitely a gun. That was one of the reveals of Ghostface. That mm-hmm. Ghostface had the gun. Yeah. So it is more common than I thought, but mm, I think they did it well in this one because of the, uh, I don't want to jump ahead, but because of the reveal. Uh, Yeah. There was a lot of gun exchanging going on too. Mm -hmm. Billy, Stu, and Mrs. Loomis all use guns. Mrs. Loomis. That's right. There was a second one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're right. So. So yeah, Lindsay, I think Arthur Clown deserves an apology. He does not, <laughs> actually. That's the shocking really, part I, of that. I, I say that to say this, that I guess it can be well done using a gun <gasps> in a slasher film. It, it's just that Terrifier did not do it well. <laughs> and if you want to hear more of this debate, turned into our horror bracket episode and the film strip episode where I cover Terrifier <laughs> as well. Also, can we note that Tom was the one that brought that up, that Billy Stu and Mrs. Loomis all use guns, and he's yeah. over here hating on this? I Googled. 
Oh, <laughs> just had to be right. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Oh man. I was okay. gonna let it just go, but I got called out, and I had to admit that I was I was using Google <laughs> to see which guns, <laughs> which Ghostface used guns. So after Ghostface knocks that takes out Kincaid, he goes on a he chases Sydney. We get our quintessential chase scene to the house, and Sydney stumbles upon the secret screening room where inside of it they're playing home movies of her mother. Which okay, so she goes into the secret room with Ghostface behind her. She gets in there and Ghostface is already in there. He's in a body bag. <laughs> In a body bag on the other side of the room. Well, I think now is the time to point out originally there were two killers here. Yeah. It was Angelina was supposed to be the second killer, but the Weinsteins are like, eh, you've done two killers. Make it one. Even though two killers, this is Scream Staple. Two killers would have made, would have made <laughs> Which more Which I called. Agree. Two killers would have made more sense. Made more sense. I hate, what would Angelina's backstory have been, though? Now I'm curious. What, what was the original... I think she probably slept romance with Roman. I don't know. That yeah, that's fair. Roman. Just like, but you I mean tell. it doesn't super matter. The second mm-hmm. ghost face, there's always like, you know, the oh, Billy, the yeah. Mrs. Loomis, etc. And then, like, then you have the yeah. stew, the Mickey. They have their plus one. Their plus yeah. one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ghost face plus one. But Angelina di- disappears for scenes at a time in this movie where she, she was clearly meant to be Ghostface. And mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like they didn't have a real idea of where they were going with the movie and just kind of did random. Blame things. the Weinsteins. Yeah. They, so I agree. That kind of happened in the second one, too. The script got leaked and they like changed a whole bunch of stuff. The second you one. You can kind of tell in that one, too. You felt it still didn't feel as obnoxious to me. Yeah, <laughs> the second one still felt like a scream slasher. This just feels. This one was a little too meta, I think. It was extra meta. <laughs> it was. That's to quote Peter Griffin. It insists upon itself. I find it shallow and pedantic. <laughs> to, to, to quote to quote Gail Weathers in Scream Four, it's meta. And Dewey's like, what's that even mean? And she's like, I don't know. I heard the kids use it. <laughs> <laughs> but the killer, to your point, Tom, he shows up and he starts talking to Sydney as Sydney's watching these home movies. And he's like, I'm the other half of you. I'm your sibling. Okay. He's the brother. I searched for her mom for a long time. And when I finally tracked her down, she turned me away. She had a new life and a new name. And you were the only daughter... She claimed, and she rips. He rips off the mask. He's like Roman Bridger, director and brother. <laughs> how many? Of y'all, how many of y'all have siblings? It. I'm a director. That's what I do. I, I have a sibling. sibling. I do not. Would I have a have lot. A oh okay. yeah. Are any of them your other half? <laughs> <laughs> that just felt really, really creepy to me. I'm sorry. That was creepy. <laughs> is that the? Is that what he said? I'm your other. Yeah. Half. I'm your other half. That is. The other half of you is that what yeah, you said? Something like that. Yeah, like they're if you're they're twins, not twins. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, but if you're not twins, absolutely not. That's that does not. I don't. I don't that is not accurate. It's not accurate. I hate that Roman is Ghostface. I hate his reasoning. I hate it. I think it's. I think it's cheap. I think they were grasping at straws with the Marine Prescott being his mom and her like previous life. And I 
I, I like it because it's a whole it. trilogy thing. It's like in Star Wars, oh, Leia's uh, sister. Appreciate what they were trying to do, but Roman was barely in this movie. He was barely in which it. Is a, which is a big opportunity lost because Scott Foley's an amazing actor. Yeah. He's in the show called The Unit, and we saw so much depth of and range for him as an actor, and mm-hmm. none of it is here. Even when he... He's, <laughs> basically just some boring dude who takes off his mask and says i'm your brother and you're gonna die like when we had when we had billy billy had like a a change he was a different person when the mask yes came off yes it's like oh yeah you could be a killer roman it's like mm. i agree and then i feel like he didn't have a chance to show the depth that could have been the depth that could have been. Yes. Also, I feel like it would have been way easier and more believable to just say they had the same dad and not the same mom. But then we mm. wouldn't have shame dad. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like Maureen Prescott gave birth to two children is what he's saying. And she just threw him away. Yeah, threw him away. Well, he they were born separate times. Well, yes, no, I know, but I know she didn't like li- literally throw him in a trash can. Right, but... he was a reminder. <laughs> so the whole story for our listeners, he was the Hollywood rape baby, essentially. Yeah, and when she left her life in Hollywood behind, he, she became Maureen Prescott, got married, had Sydney. And she told when Roman found her eventually, he, she told him that part of her life's dead. Rena Reynolds is dead. So Roman's like, well, if Rena's dead, I am going to kill you for real. So he started stalking her, found out she was having an affair with Billy's dad. And then it didn't take much to convince Billy and Stu, Billy, to kill Maureen for tearing apart his family. But he didn't realize Billy and Stu and then Mrs. Loomis and Mickey would go on to perpetrate all these murders and create their own films as he called it so i reckon the whole story like the whole reason for this franchise is he put billy up to killing the mom also is upsetting because roman didn't get enough agency in this film no for him to be able to take credit for everything that happened in the first and second and that is what's most upsetting even the scenes that that character was in he wasn't the main part of those scenes he was just a side panel and they kind of did that i guess with mrs loomis but i don't know i feel like he was even more sidelined and i i just feel like him being the mastermind of all of this i just don't think that they developed it right and the fact that he was a mastermind of this whole thing i think is cheap i think if they had come up with this at the beginning of at this time when it was a trilogy and developed it that way but this way it's like okay we've done three movies let's make him the mastermind it's just like putting a piece of tape on a gift that already has enough tape you know what i mean like i get what you're saying but i almost feel like that leans into the whole trilogy thing where the third is usually the worst in a trilogy and like randy called out in the rules it does tend to reveal a secret that you didn't know from the beginning but if, but if Scott Foley had been an actor and even just a periphery in the first movie, I would have been okay. I think I would have been more okay with it. 
or like a hint that she was in Hollywood even or like just something yeah just something just to be like oh it's like a it's like the way my daughter tells a story you know like <laughs> seven she'll she'll just go on this whole thing and you ask a question and then something ridiculous is given as an answer to make it make sense I'm like okay mm. cool you're creative but it also it also felt like Roman and Sydney were very close to the same age. It didn't yeah. feel like he was old enough to have been directing this whole thing and manipulating this whole thing from the beginning cuz Sydney was in high school when all of this started. Mm-hmm. Yes. Young high school cuz she was still riding the school bus. So she would have at least been I would say a freshman, sophomore, junior, mm-hmm. seniors don't ride the school bus. Right. <laughs> well, and yeah. and her, their mom would have had to have time to leave Hollywood, build a new identity, get married, and then have Sydney. So right. he had to have been at least, what, five or 10 years older than her? Yeah, and he just didn't yeah. seem that much older. No. Even if he was five years older, that would have made him 21, 22 in the first one. I don't know. I mean, Billy was a high school senior, soft, uh, fro- sophomore freshman when he killed Maureen and a whole murder spree. So I buy that he would be capable of it. Young. But yeah, the age doesn't work. Fair. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I agree. You know, so I came out hot on this movie. Y'all have not done anything to defend it. Like, every, every, <laughs> all my trash talking you agree with. <laughs> no, I agree with all the trash talk. I do. There's nothing to disagree with for the most part, but it's just a really fun movie. That's it's why not I a, enjoy it. It's not. Yeah, it's not. a. I don't think it's a bad movie. Like you have a bad movie, <laughs> but then you have a bad Tr- movie. Trust, you know what I mean? Trust me when I say you watch all the Nightmare announced to your Friday the 13th or even all the Halloweens like those are bad movies and this one there's always at least one in a franchise that's not good but you still watch it because you like the franchise and you can watch it and this one's fun and I love the play or in this case like the film within the film meta structure I do too that's one of the things I like most about it and fake mm. Gale, that was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I am so, so glad that we got to cover something you all like. <laughs> what? Anyway, Roman is being nice. It was so clouded and like, it's like that kid at their sibling's birthday party who's like, well, I didn't get a birthday party this fun, you know? I'm so glad well, you had a good birthday. Okay, That's so had right a current now. of condescension underneath so it. We, we we try to practice peaceful parenting, but like Christine always tells me, she's like, when you're doing it, you sound so fake. It just, it's not believable. And I really do. Or like, I'll be really extra nice to Christine. And she's like, I don't know what your end game is here, but I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> That's being nice. Uh, that's how i feel right now anyway during this whole (laughs) monologue roman is doing he says he had no idea that gail would write a book or that it would be turned into a movie and but he was excited for the chance to direct it until he found out they were portraying sydney as the victim poor sydney and 
he says he's not going to be the villain because you snapped. You found out Milton raped your mommy and ruined her and you killed him and everyone else associated with this movie. And then he pulls Milton from a closet tied up and Milton's like, I'll give you anything you want, final cut, anything. And Roman's like, I already have it. And he slipped his throat. And as Roman's monologuing, I really like this bit of acting from Nev Campbell. Like she just gets so frustrated with him. She's like, stop your whining and get on with it. I've heard all of this shit before. And Roman just gets more and more frustrated with her. She's like, do you know why you kill people, Roman? Do you? Because you choose to. There is no one else to blame. Take some fucking responsibility, which I also feel is the studio pushing back on all the criticism about how art inspired real life violence a little bit. It's also a very Mm. older sister stance to take, which is why Roman seems like he's not old enough to have done that. It feels Mm -hmm. like in this movie, he is the little brother, not the older brother. Yeah. Well, he definitely seems immature. Well, he's taking all this out on Sydney who literally did nothing but was born and wanted (laughs) by her really terrible mother and they uh they get into this knockdown drag out fight here it's actually pretty violent the two of them going at it they kind of like ditch the knife as more punching and kicking and just going over furniture it's pretty brutal i actually really appreciated this as someone who grew up with a lot of siblings they fight like siblings fight like we didn't Mm -hmm. get you know that gruesome but (laughs) the way that they approached the fight Whoever the fight choreographer was definitely grew up with siblings. Yeah. <laughs> That's the best that way perspective. Yeah. And then, of course, you get, while they're fighting, you get Gale and Dewey untying one another, or they're trying to break into the room. Kincaid's, Looney Tunes. So ridiculous. Kincaid's giving them the gun, like, get the SOB. And uh, as they're trying to break into the room, Roman shoots Sydney. <gasps> she he shoots her. Sydney goes down dead. Oh no! Or does she? I love this. I love <laughs> this part. Oh, of course she doesn't because she's wearing a bulletproof vest as well. Because we didn't just do that two minutes ago. I really love it. Bulletproof vest though, because it did not look like she was wearing a bulletproof vest. Yeah. Those things are bulky as hell. Like there's yeah. no way she was actually wearing one until the reveal. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. I feel like it was a great evolution of this, like the trilogy, because I mean, how many times has she done this? And now she's like, hey, I'm going to come prepared. Just like she had the <laughs> second gun. Which are some of my favorite parts in four, five, and six. Just how she goes Terminator mode in some of those <laughs> movies. She's just and been through it so many times before. One of the reasons I love Sydney Prescott as a final girl and a character in general is that she you can see the growth in her in every single movie. And she just gets smarter and better. Mm-hmm. And yeah, eventually she pops up and stabs Roman and you get the really the shot of her holding his hand because she feels bad in those final moments, like brother and sister clasping hands. As That's she... not necessary. <laughs> well, it doesn't last very long either. <laughs> nope. Yeah. And then, of course, this is the moment Gail and Dewey finally break into the room. <sighs> and, then, and then, of course, like every scary movie, this is a part where Randy says the killer always comes back for one final scare and Roman hops mm-hmm. up with the knife and Dewey just starts unloading a clip in him, but he's still wearing the bulletproof vest. And Sydney's like, head, Dewey, head! head head and then eventually gets one off in the head and 
Roman goes down. I actually really like the Sydney yelling at Dewey to shoot him in the head. <laughs> I know that was pretty Looney Tune too, but mm-hmm. it did make me laugh. Yeah, I like that too. Then sometime later, we're at Sydney's house in the wilderness, and Gail and Dewey are there on the porch, and Dewey asks Gail, like, well, to sign a copy of her book, The Woodsboro Murders for him. And Gail's like, well, you hate this book. And he's like, please, just for me. And she opens it, and there's an engagement ring in there. And he's like, you know it'll never work, and I know it'll never work, but we should at least give it a shot. And I like this, because again, at the time, this was the final chapter. No, They never thought they'd make more sequels, and I was happy for that ending. The two of them got their little happy ending. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Julia's favorite smaltzy ending here, after mm-hmm. they get engaged and kissed, Sydney leaves the gates and the doors of her house wide open, because <laughs> she has nothing to fear anymore. No, absolutely not. Close those things. <laughs> Right? You still live in California. <laughs> like, you still live in the world. There are other people that aren't slashers. But yeah. No, absolutely not. <laughs> she she walks inside and you find out Mark is there. Mark survived. Mark Kincaid. He's in a little cast. He's like, we're going to watch a movie. And she says, what kind? And he's like, you'll just have to come and see. So she goes to follow him in the living room and the door, kitchen door slowly creaks open. And she looks hesitantly at it for a moment before smiling and turning her back on it. No, you close that door. You set the deadbolt. What? Turn on your alarm. Open a window if you want a nice breeze. (laughs) The door doesn't have to be what's providing that. While while it was on the nose, as the final time we're supposed to see her, I was like, I did appreciate, okay, she's healed. Yeah. But the end. For now, until 10 oh. years later. Yes. And fun fact, even though he never appears in a sequel, Mark and Sydney are married in, a se- mm-hmm. in the sequel. So. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jamie mm-hmm. McDreamy face. Jamie yes. McDreamy face. <laughs> he is pretty. Mm-hmm. Yes, he is. Boy, is he. So we did get a few comments about this film. Phil Walsh wrote, I think it's a mixed bag. Tonally, the film feels off to me, especially when compared to the others before and after it. I think four served as a better final chapter. You still have the family element, but it feels more grounded as opposed to the long lost brother story. I know Kendall agrees with that. Mm-hmm. I will, four, I'll just say right now, four is my least favorite in the series. I know people consider that one of the best after the original that I loathe for. As far as the rest of the series, I don't hate any of them, but compared to the other ones, it is by far not a competition for my least favorite. You should have me on when you all cover the fourth one. <laughs> next okay. next October. Hmm. You can take my place. You can be me. <laughs> Anthony DePuzo wrote, it's a perfect conclusion to the original trilogy. Fun, suspenseful with the best third act of the franchise. Very personal with Sydney and Roman going at it. And then my buddy Ken commented, I do think it's underrated. I love the final act. I loved Roman as a killer. I think it could have been better, but Roman Bridger, director and brother, lives in my head run free. I love the closure Sydney had while leaving the door that mysteriously opened. opened. That was a calm, there was a calm and peace to that. So yeah. I mean, to your point, Tom, me, Lindsay, and Kendall are not <laughs> defending anything you said we just no. think it's a fun movie uh, yeah so I don't, it's all the same yeah. thing and just have different opinions yes <laughs> mm-hmm. 
so so I do have to ask, and from different perspectives, right? So because Lindsay and Kendall know what's coming because they've seen the rest of the franchise, Julie yeah. and Tom haven't. As an ending, as this was supposed to be, forget how the quality of the overall movie, where it left the characters, if this was the end, were the character, were you happy with their arc, satisfied with where they ended up after three movies? Yeah, it tied it together in a nice little bow. Yeah. Yeah, I'm happy. Mainly because Sydney still has her dog. That's always my fear (laughs) with a horror flick is that they show the pet. Yes. My main concern is whether or not that pet lives. One hundred percent did live, and it was really only in those two scenes. So I'm happy. I'm happy yep, where yep. it ended up. I was watching Friday the Thirteenth Part Eight: Jason Takes Manhattan, not because <laughs> I wanted to, but I was watching it, and there was a dog at the very beginning, and I was super worried that dog wouldn't make yeah. it. I I haven't finished the movie. I gave up last night. I have to go back to it, but. <laughs> Um, so I don't know if he survived, but yeah, I mean, I love an optimistic ending, right? Um, if I had thought this was capping the series out, right? I didn't know the others exist. I would have been happy with it. That's just my nature. I don't think I care enough. That tracks. <laughs> <laughs> well, on a scale of one to 10, we don't do popcorn readings on this show, Lindsay. What would you give it? <laughs> on a scale of one to 10, I give it a six. It's not great. I agree. It's not a great film. It's certainly not a great standalone film. You definitely need to see the first and second first to really enjoy and appreciate this one. Mm -hmm. But it's just really a fun, light watch. I don't love a lot about it. I wish there was a little more blood and gore or more unique deaths like there were in the first ones but it is a movie you can watch while eating dinner and Mm. I enjoyed it and I still do so Mm -hmm. I'm gonna give it a solid six Kendall yeah I'm probably gonna give it a five but just because I rank this the lowest excuse me of the six screams um, I, I did bump it just below scream two. Um, that was usually my bottom tier, but I think I like it a little less, but yeah, I mean, I enjoy this movie. Like Lindsay said, it's a good, like, just, you know, I could watch it without watching the other two. I can watch it in my rewatch every year. It's just, there's things I enjoy about it, even amidst the things I don't. So <clears throat> I'd say a solid five. Julia? Uh, I think I'm going to come in at a three. Not enough of what I love about Scream. Too much of the silly. Just felt so disconnected. I don't think I'll revisit this one. Um, One? Can he give it a negative? <laughs> no, I'm not going down that low. It's it's better than Kirk Cameron saving Christmas. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I would watch this. I would watch this every day of my, every day of my life to not have to watch Kirk Cameron saving Christmas again. <laughs> Proud to say I've never seen that one. Mm -hmm. You don't have to. I wouldn't. Don't plan on it. Uh, I'm also going to go a six. I was thinking a seven before rewatching this. I do really like it, but Gail Spangs took it down a whole point for me. So six. Brutal. Jay and Silent Bob took it up to a six for me. (laughs) I forgot about them. They were good. 
<laughs> so that gives us an average of a 5.4, which seems about right for this film. Yeah, I think that's fair. So I'm curious what our other listeners think of this film. Where can they let us know? On the internet by going to linktree.com slash tis the podcast where you can find a link to our facebook facebook group twitter slash x mastodon maybe blue sky instagram but the real place where it's happening the place where it's really happening is that facebook group and you can uh thank you can help us thank kindle and Lindsay for joining us and making this terrible movie much more bearable in recording or uh, you can thank them for putting up with my insufferability and disdain for this movie. Julie, where else can listeners find us? Um, so that same link has a link to our Patreon, which is um, everything else. Uh, for as little as a dollar a month, you can get access to that vault. Um, there's still Christmas content in there. Sometimes it's just longer versions of episodes we've already covered. Um, it goes back as long as we've had the podcast around about. So there's a ton of content. But it is October, um, and with that comes a lot of specific Halloween content to our Patreon, including a super fun, shameless plug, mini-series Anthony and I are doing, which is Ruined Comes to His the Podcast, where uh, Anthony ruins a horror flick I will never see. (laughs) Um, And I just react to his great synopsis, which has been great fun for us because we're big fans of the Ruined Podcast. Um, so maybe more episodes of that coming, like definitely more, but I don't know how many more. Yeah. Well, yeah. So we did Terrifier and Terrifier 2. Uh, spoiler alert, Julie was not as upset with the Glock as Lindsay was. And, uh, we did the <laughs> That Exorcist. is the most shocking thing in all of horror I've ever seen. <laughs> but he busted that gun out and I'm like, what just happened? God <laughs> takes you out of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's so bizarre. Uh, we did The Exorcist. We're going to do the new Exorcist coming out. You'll also hear Kendall and Lindsay's co-hosts Ron and Jay and Matt Spaulding and Jerry D on there. And Lindsay you'll hear in a bonus episode I was going to drop on Patreon, but I think I'm going to drop it in the main feed. Uh, this is our horror bracket episode that Lindsay and Kendall and Ron and Matt and I did. And mm-hmm. that was a lot of fun. That was fun. And if you want to hear more of Lindsay and Kendall outside of our show, where can they find y'all, guys? You can find me with my co-hosts, Jay and Ron, and on occasion guests like Anthony at Filmstrip Podcast. Look us up wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at, at Filmstrip Pod, as well as Facebook and I think X, but Instagram is where it's happening. And you can find me on the podcast that I just started with my friend, Misty. It's called Two Girls, One Crypt. It is a horror podcast for the horror movie fan or the horror curious. Um, So if you're just getting into horror, we just kind of go over different subgenres of horror movies. We have covered Haunted Houses, Slasher Flicks, Stephen King, and a few others. And it's super fun. Um, So you can check us out when ever uh wherever you find podcasts i think or we might just be on spotify i'm not sure where we're at with that um but definitely on spotify for now and you can uh find us at instagram at two girls one crypt we also um i do some really cool 
episode art for each episode. You can check that out on Instagram as well. I can concur. The episode art is fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> it's fun. <clears throat> it's really cool. Both are great shows. Check them out. Yeah, Lindsay and Kendall, it's so awesome having you both on tonight. It really was. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Yeah, this is so fun. Uh, Next year, might have to get you guys back for Scream 4. I have to be on for Scream 4 because you and I have differing opinions. I'm in. (laughs) There you go. So stay tuned for next October for our Scream 4 episode. (laughs) That might be the only way you get Tom there. I guess if they're both coming, I'll be here too. (laughs) (laughs) But spooky season is not over this year yet. Um, Next week, we're doing a little more family-friendly fare. We're covering Halloween Town 3, Halloween Town High. And then the week after that, we're covering another very campy horror movie from the early 2000s, which will be Julia's first introduction to both of these icons. We are covering Freddy versus Jason. Mm -hmm. Yeah, how am I the one hosting that? Because it's going to be hilarious having you (laughs) host a movie that you've never seen. That's fun. That was my first introduction to those characters as well, Julia. That's a that's a fun movie. I'm just imagining Julia sending a "thanks I hate it" meme to us after she watches it. (laughs) Thanks, I hate it. That's half the fun. (laughs) Uh, And next week when we're doing Halloween Town 3, we'll also be discussing new Christmas music coming out this year. Ooh, fun. Uh, you know what else is fun, y'all? I mean, there's only 1,848 hours until Christmas. That's fun. That's fun. That's 77 days worth of fun. You've only got 11 weeks left of fun. Do your homework, y'all. Watch Halloween Town High. Canadians, happy Thanksgiving. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye. Bye.